Section 18 of Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Schneider. Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates by Howard Pyle. Compiled by Merle Johnson. The Ruby of Kishmore, Part 2. The Terrific Encounter with the One-Eyed Little Gentleman in Black. Finding himself once more in the open street, Jonathan Rugg stood for a while in the moonlight, endeavoring to compose his mind into somewhat of that sobriety that was habitual with him, for indeed he was not a little excited by the unexpected incidents that had just befallen him. From this effort at composure he was aroused by observing that a little gentleman clad all in black had stopped a little distance away, and was looking very intently at him. In the brightness of the moonlight our hero could see that the little gentleman possessed but a single eye, and that he carried a gold-headed cane in his hand. He had hardly time to observe these particulars, when the other approached him with every appearance of politeness and cordiality. "'Sir,' said he, "'surely I am not mistaken in recognizing in you the supercargo of the ship Susanna Hayes, which arrived this afternoon at this port.' "'Indeed,' said Jonathan, "'thou art right, friend. That is my occupation, and that is whence I came.' "'To be sure,' said the little gentleman, "'to be sure, to be sure, the Susanna Hayes, with a cargo of Indian cornmeal, and from my dear good friend Jeremiah Doolittle, of Philadelphia. I know your good master very well, very well indeed. And have you never heard him speak of his friend, Mr. Abner Greenway, of Kingston, Jamaica? Why, no, replied Jonathan. I have no such recollection of the name, nor do I know that any such name hath ever appeared upon our books. To be sure, to be sure, repeated the little gentleman briskly and with exceeding good nature indeed my name is not likely to have appeared upon your employer's books for i am not a business correspondent but one who in times past was his extremely intimate friend there is much i would like to ask about him and indeed i was in hopes that you would have been the bearer of a letter from him but i have lodgings at a little distance from here that is if it is not requesting too much of you maybe you would accompany me thither so that we may talk at our leisure i would gladly accompany you to your ship instead of urging you to come to my apartments but i must tell you i am possessed of a devil of a fever so that my physician has forbidden me to go out at nights indeed said jonathan who, you may have observed, was of very easy disposition. Indeed, I shall be very glad to accompany thee to thy lodgings. There is nothing I would like better than to serve any friend of good Jeremiah Doolittle's. And thereupon, with great amity, the two walked off together, the little one-eyed gentleman in black linking his arm confidingly into that of Jonathan's, and tapping the pavement continually with his cane as he trotted on at a great pace. He was very well acquainted with the town, of which he was a citizen, and so interesting was his discourse that they had gone a considerable distance before Jonathan observed that they were entering into a quarter darker and less frequented than that which they had quitted. Tall brick houses stood upon either side, between which stretched a narrow, crooked roadway, with a kennel running down the centre. 
in front of one of these houses a tall and gloomy structure our hero's conductor stopped and opening the door with a key beckoned for him to enter jonathan having complied his new-found friend led the way up a flight of stairs against which jonathan's feet beat noisily in the darkness and at length having ascended two stairways and having reached a landing he opened a door at the end of the passage and ushered jonathan into an apartment unlighted except for the moonshine which coming in through a partly open shutter lay in a brilliant patch of light upon the floor his conductor having struck a light with a flint and steel our hero by the illumination of a single candle presently discovered himself to be in a bedchamber furnished with no small degree of comfort and even elegance and having every appearance of a bachelor's chamber you will pardon me said his new acquaintance if i shut these shutters and the window for that devilish fever of which i spoke is of such a sort that i must keep the night air even out of my room or else i shall be shaking the bones out of my joints and chattering the teeth out of my head by to-morrow morning so saying he was as good as his word and not only drew the shutters to but shot the heavy iron bolt into its place having accomplished this he bade our hero to be seated and placing before him some exceedingly superior rum together with some equally excellent tobacco they presently fell into the friendliest discourse imaginable in the course of their talk which after a while became exceedingly confidential jonathan confided to his new friend the circumstances of the adventure into which he had been led by the beautiful stranger and to all that he said concerning his adventure his interlocutor listened with the closest and most scrupulously riveted attention upon my word said he when jonathan had concluded i hope that you may not have been the victim of some foolish hoax let me see what she has confided to you that i will replied jonathan and thereupon he thrust his hand into his breeches pocket and brought forth the ivory ball no sooner did the one eye of the little gentleman in black light upon the object than a most singular and extraordinary convulsion appeared to seize upon him had a bullet penetrated his heart he would not have started more violently nor have sat more rigidly and breathlessly staring mastering his emotion with the utmost difficulty as jonathan replaced the ball in his pocket he drew a deep and profound breath and wiped the palm of his hand across his forehead as though arousing himself from a dream and you he said of a sudden or i understand a quaker do you then never carry a weapon even in such a place as this for at any moment in the dark a spanish knife may be stuck betwixt your ribs why no said jonathan somewhat surprised that so foreign a topic should have been so suddenly introduced into the discourse i am a man of peace and not of blood the people of the society of friends never carry weapons either offence or defence as jonathan concluded his reply the little gentleman suddenly arose from his chair and moved briskly around to the other side of the room our hero watching him with some surprise beheld him clap to the door and with a single movement shoot the bolt and turn the key therein the next instant he turned to jonathan a visage transformed as suddenly as though he had dropped a mask from his face the gossiping and polite little old bachelor was there no longer 
but in his stead a man with a countenance convulsed with some furious and nameless passion the ball he said in a coarse and raucous voice that ivory ball get it to me upon the instant as he spoke he whipped out from his bosom a long keen spanish knife that in its every appearance spoke without equivocation of the most murderous possibilities the malignant passions that distorted every lineament of the countenance of this little old gentleman in black filled our hero with such astonishment that he knew not whether he were asleep or awake but when he beheld the other advancing with the naked and shining knife in his hand his reason returned to him like a flash leaping to his feet he lost no time in putting the table between him and his sudden enemy indeed friend he cried in a voice penetrated with terror indeed friend thou hast best keep thy distance from me for though i am a man of peace and a shunner of bloodshed i promise thee that i will not stand still to be murdered without outcry or without endeavouring to defend my life cry as loud as you please exclaimed the other no one is near this place to hear you cry until you are hoarse no one in this neighborhood will stop to ask what is the matter with you i tell you i am determined to possess myself of that ivory ball and have it i shall even though i am obliged to cut your heart to get it as he spoke he grinned with so extraordinary and devilish a distortion of his countenance and with such an appearance of every intention of carrying out his threat as to send the goose-flesh creeping like icy fingers up and down our hero's spine with the most incredible rapidity and acuteness nevertheless mastering his fears jonathan contrived to speak up with a pretty good appearance of spirit indeed friend he said thou appearest to forget that i am a man of twice thy bulk and half thy years and that though thou hast a knife i am determined to defend myself to the last extremity i am not going to give thee that which thou demandest of me and for thy sake i advise thee to open the door and let me go free as i entered or else harm may befall thee fool cried the other hardly giving him time to end do you then think that i have time to chatter with you while two villains are lying in wait for me perhaps at the very door blame your own self for your death and gnashing his teeth with an indescribable menace and resting his hand upon the table he vaulted with incredible agility clean across it and upon our hero who entirely unprepared for such an extraordinary attack was flung back against the wall with an arm as strong as steel clutching his throat and a knife flashing in his very eyes with determined portent of instant death with an instinct to preserve his life he caught his assailant by the wrist and bending it away from him set every fibre of his body in a superhuman effort to guard and protect himself the other though so much older and smaller seemed to be composed entirely of fibres of steel and in his murderous endeavours put forth a strength so extraordinary that for a moment our hero felt his heart melt within him with terror for his life the spittle appeared to dry up within his mouth and his hair to creep and rise upon his head with a vehement cry of despair and anguish he put forth one stupendous effort for defence and clapping his heel behind the other's leg and throwing his whole weight forward he fairly tripped his antagonist backward as he stood together they fell upon the floor 
locked in the most desperate embrace and overturning a chair with a prodigious clatter in their descent our hero upon the top and the little gentleman in black beneath him as they struck the floor the little man in black emitted a most piercing and terrible scream and instantly relaxing his efforts of attack fell to beating the floor with the back of his hands and drubbing with his heels upon the rug in which he had become entangled our hero leaped to his feet and with dilating eyes and expanding brain and swimming sight stared down upon the other like one turned to a stone he beheld instantly what had occurred and that he had without so intending killed a fellow-man the knife turned away from his own person had in their fall been plunged into the bosom of the other and he now lay quivering in the last throes of death as jonathan gazed he beheld a thin red stream trickle out from the parted and grinning lips he beheld the eyes turned inward he beheld the eyelids contract he beheld the figure stretch itself he beheld it become still in death the momentous adventure with the stranger with the silver earrings so our hero stood stunned and bedazed gazing down upon his victim like a man turned into a stone his brain appeared to him to expand like a bubble the blood surged and hummed in his ears with every gigantic beat of his heart his vision swam and his trembling hands were bedewed with a cold and repugnant sweat the dead figure upon the floor at his feet gazed at him with a wide glassy stare and in the confusion of his mind it appeared to jonathan that he was indeed a murderer what monstrous thing was this that had befallen him who but a moment before had been so entirely innocent of the guilt of blood what was he now to do in such an extremity as this with his victim lying dead at his feet a poniard in his heart who would believe him to be guiltless of crime with such a dreadful evidence as this presented against him how was he a stranger in a foreign land to totally defend himself against an accusation of mistaken justice at these thoughts a developed terror gripped at his vitals and a sweat as cold as ice bedewed his entire body no he must tarry for no explanation or defence he must immediately fly from this terrible place or else should he be discovered his doom would certainly be sealed at that moment and in the very extremity of his apprehensions there fell of a sudden a knock upon the door sounding so loud and so startling upon the silence of the room that every shattered nerve in our hero's frame tingled and thrilled to answer to it he stood petrified scarcely so much as daring to breathe and then observing that his mouth was agape he moistened his dry and parched lips and drew his jaws together with a snap again there fell the same loud insistent knock upon the panel followed by the imperative words open within the wretched jonathan flung about him a glance at once of terror and of despair but there was for him no possible escape he was shut tight in the room with his dead victim like a rat in a trap nothing remained for him but to obey the summons from without indeed at the very extremity of his distraction he possessed reason enough to perceive that the longer he delayed opening the door the less innocent he might hope to appear in the eyes of whoever stood without 
with the uncertain and spasmodic movements of an ill-constructed automaton he crossed the room and stepping very carefully over the prostrate body upon the floor and with a hesitating reluctance that he could in no degree master he unlocked unbolted and opened the door the figure that outlined itself in the light of the candle against the blackness of the passageway without was of such a singular and foreign aspect as to fit extremely well into the extraordinary tragedy of which jonathan was at once the victim and the cause it was that of a lean tall man with a thin yellow countenance embellished with a long black moustache and having a pair of forbidding deeply set and extremely restless black eyes a crimson handkerchief beneath a lace cocked hat was tied tightly around the head and a pair of silver earrings which caught the light of the candle gleamed and twinkled against the inky darkness of the passageway beyond this extraordinary being without favoring our hero with any word of apology for his intrusion immediately thrust himself forward into the room and stretching his long lean bird-like neck so as to direct his gaze over the intervening table fixed a gaping and concentrated stare upon the figure lying still and motionless in the centre of the room vat you do there he said with a guttural and foreign accent and thereupon without waiting for a reply came forward and knelt down beside the dead man after thrusting his hand into the silent and shrunken bosom he presently looked up and fixed his penetrating eyes upon our hero's countenance who benumbed and bedazed with his despair still stood like one enchained in the bonds of a nightmare he was dead said the stranger and jonathan nodded his head in reply why you kill this man inquired his interlocutor indeed jonathan cried finding a voice at last but one so hoarse that he could scarcely recognize it for his own i know not what to make of the affair but indeed i do assure thee friend that i am entirely innocent of what thou seest the stranger still kept his piercing gaze fixed upon our hero's countenance and jonathan feeling that something further was demanded of him continued i am indeed a victim of a most extravagant and extraordinary adventure this evening coming an entire stranger to this country i was introduced into the house of a beautiful female who bestowed upon me a charge that appeared to me to be at once insignificant and absurd behold this little ivory ball said he drawing the globe from his pocket and displaying it between his thumb and finger it is this that appears to have brought all this disaster upon me for coming from the house of the young woman the man thou now beholdest lying dead upon the floor induced me to come to this place having inveigled me hither he demanded of me to give him at once this insignificant trifle upon my refusing to do so he assaulted me with every appearance of a mad and furious inclination to deprive me of my life at the sight of the ivory ball the stranger quickly rose from his kneeling position and fixed upon our hero a gaze the most extraordinary that he had ever encountered his eyes dilated like those of a cat the breath expelled itself from his bosom in so deep and profound an expiration that it appeared as though it might never return again 
nor was it until jonathan had placed the ball in his pocket that he appeared to awaken from the trance that the sight of the object had sent him into but no sooner had the cause of this strange demeanor disappeared into our hero's breeches pocket than he arose as with an electric shock in an instant he became transformed as by a touch of magic a sudden and baleful light flamed into his eyes his face grew as red as blood and he clapped his hands to his pockets with a sudden and violent motion zabal he cried in a hoarse and strident voice zabal give me zabal and upon the next instant our hero beheld the round and shining nozzle of a pistol pointed directly against his forehead for a moment he stood as though transfixed then in the mortal peril that faced him he uttered a roar that sounded in his own ears like the outcry of a wild beast and thereupon flung himself bodily upon the other with the violence and the fury of a madman the stranger drew the trigger and the powder flashed in the pan he dropped the weapon clattering and in an instant tried to draw another from his other pocket before he could direct his aim however our hero had caught him by both wrists and bending his hand backward prevented the chance of any shot from taking immediate effect upon his person then followed a struggle of extraordinary ferocity and frenzy the stranger endeavoring to free his hand and jonathan striving with all the energy of despair to prevent him from effecting his murderous purpose in the struggle our hero became thrust against the edge of the table he felt as though his back were breaking and became conscious that in such a situation he could hope to defend himself only a few moments longer the stranger's face was pressed close to his own his hot breath strong with the odor of garlic fanned our hero's cheek while his lips distended into a ferocious inferring grin displayed his sharp teeth shining in the candlelight give me the ball he said in a harsh and furious whisper at that moment there rang in jonathan's ears the sudden and astounding detonation of a pistol shot and for a moment he wondered whether he had received a mortal wound without being aware of it then suddenly he beheld an extraordinary and dreadful transformation take place in the countenance thrust so close to his own the eyes winked several times with incredible rapidity and then rolled upward and inward the jaws gaped into a dreadful and cavernous yawn the pistol fell with a clatter to the floor and the next moment the muscles so rigid but an instant before relaxed into a limp and listless placidity the joints collapsed the entire man fell into an indistinguishable heap upon and across the dead figure stretched out upon the floor while at the same time a pungent and blinding cloud of gunpowder smoke filled the apartment for a few moments the hands twitched convulsively the neck stretched itself to an abominable length the long lean legs slowly and gradually relaxed and every fibre of the body gradually collapsed into the lassitude of death a spot of blood appeared and grew upon the collar at the throat and in the same degree the collar ebbed from the face leaving it of a dull and leaden pallor all these terrible and formidable changes of aspect our hero stood watching with a motionless and riveted attention and as though they were to him matters of the utmost consequence and importance 
and only when the last flicker of life had departed from his second victim did he lift his gaze from its terrible scene of dissolution to stare about him this way and that his eyes blinded and his breath stifled by the thick cloud of sulphurous smoke that obscured the objects about him in a pungent cloud that is the end of part two of the ruby of kishmar